Maria. She lives in the Jimmy Valley of Hockney Nanny. It's by far the most remote part of our hospital catchment area. We're talking remote where there are no roads, there are no cars, there are no stores. Everyone in the village is a subsistence farmer, so they basically live out of their garden or what they can raise. Maria has six children. She, they're beautiful, amazing. She has a sweet little family, and she's pregnant with baby number seven, which I'm pretty sure at that point, what's one more? <laughs> so it, it's fine. The plan is for Maria to deliver in her hut um, or her house. So think um, woven bamboo walls or grass roof. Um, that's where she'll deliver. That's where she had all six others. She'll have her mom and her grandma there. They've delivered a ton of babies. That's the plan. No one's worried. It's going to be fun. Maria goes into labor. Everything goes as planned. She delivers a beautiful baby boy. But when it comes time to deliver the placenta, nothing happens. And Maria starts to bleed. Now, her mother and her grandmother know enough about delivering babies that this is not how it's supposed to go. This is not quite right. But they don't have the tools or the knowledge to know what to do. So they decide that the next step needs to be to get Maria to a hospital. So they hoist her up and they walk with her for a day as she's bleeding. After a day, they get to a road where they can then get on a bus, where they travel for 12 more hours on a bus that is bumpy and rocky, and sometimes the road has landslides or drops off. Fortunately, in their case, they were able to make it through the road this time, and they get to the ER at Kujit Nazarene Hospital. At this point, Maria barely has a pulse. She's not conscious. They bring her in. Her mom and grandma explain what happened. The doctors and nurses know what to do right away. They quickly get her blood, they get her antibiotics, and they start the procedure that she needs to stop the bleeding and remove the placenta. Everything goes well. And that day, at Kujit Hospital in Hockney, God saved Maria's life. She goes into the ward to rest and to recover. And the doctor comes in and tells her kind of what had happened, what she'd gone through, and how close she was to dying. And the doctor also then shares with her God's love for her and shares the gospel with her. Later that day, a chaplain comes by and prays with Maria. And Maria gives her life to the Lord. Maria goes home to her family, healthy, and with a new life in Christ. She's taking back a testimony to her seven children of God's love for her. Him saving her, both physically, but now more importantly to her, spiritually. You guys, this is the coolest part because you guys, as a part of a Nazarene church here in Sterling, you guys are a part of Maria's story. How cool is that? That you guys, God uses his body. God uses the body of Christ. He uses the church to come together to make it possible for there to be an organization that can
intentions to plant a hospital in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, that he plants a passion and desire in people like you guys here in America to support that hospital and that mission so that Maria has a place to go, so that her life is saved. And not only that, but she gets to hear the gospel. That's what we are a part of together in this ministry, in this mission. You guys, this is so cool. God is so awesome and using us all together to build his kingdom. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, my name is Jordan. I work for Rachel. We've been in Papua New Guinea for 12 years. Uh, we serve and live at the Kujip Nazarene Hospital there. Um, Papua New Guinea is, if you don't know where this is, that's okay. We all didn't know where that was before we signed up to go. <laughs> but Papua New Guinea is, if you think of Australia, like the east coast of Australia, is all lying straight north. That's where Papua New Guinea is. We live right in the middle of the country. Up in, up in the mountains, about a mile high elevation. Um, there, Rachel serves in more roles than I can count, so I won't list them all, because it's, it's a long list. Um, and she stays home a lot with our three children, Miles, Graham, and Charlotte, Eric, and Eric. Eight, six, and three. And so, sorry, they're not here today, they're with Grandma and Graham, but we leave, we go back to Papua New Guinea just uh, about a week and a half. So Grandma and Grandpa need to get their grandkids now. <laughs> I serve as a director for construction or maintenance and security services on the Melanesia South Pacific field. The Melanesia South Pacific field is seven countries, all just throughout the South Pacific. Uh, Papua New Guinea is the biggest one there. Um, it's over, we have over 100 employees and it's all self-sustaining. And then we have a large construction project that's over 200 employees. And over the last two years, um, we've done a few things. I'm gonna list a few things here and it's gonna sound like I'm bragging because I probably am. Um, <laughs> But I won't just list up all morning, it's all right. So over the last two years, we've done 14 new hospital buildings for Kujib Nazarene Hospital, uh, 16 houses for nurses who work there, uh, four uh, nursing college classrooms with the, with the hospital. There's a nursing college as well, a new dormitory for them, um, and expanding our security services. When we go back in the next two years, we're gonna be focusing on our rural health clinics. And so we'll be building a new clinic so people like Maria don't have to have that day-long walk and the half-day uh, bus ride, and so we can have a clinic in their local village, in those remote areas to serve them. Uh, we're building a new maintenance workshop, a new training facility for healthcare workers, new bathrooms for our teacher college and Bible college. That's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Some new security fencing and a new maternity wing for one of our existing clinics. And so, sorry, I'm done listing stuff. But all of that is to accomplish two goals, to do two things. One. Obviously, to give the facilities and you know the equipment and the stability to all of the ministries on our field there, so that they can be effective and they can serve people in, in, in the way that God's called them to serve. But two, and really most importantly, I mean the whole reason for the mission is to be able to disciple and to engage, to evangelize, share the gospel with the hundreds of workers it takes to deliver all of those services, to build all of those things. And over the last 12 years we've been there, we've seen God do some amazing things to see hundreds, hundreds of people come to Christ and countless more uh, be discipled. Um, and before we really move on into what we kind of want to talk about this morning, the point we kind of points we kind of want to make, I want to pause and, and just say one thing that um, we've done, we at the hospital have been extremely blessed with foreign aid 
large donor groups coming in and giving us a good amount of money to be able to build all of these things and have the equipment to be able to provide first world medicine in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I think in the face of that, looking at that from a local church perspective, it's easy to think, well, what, what, have, I, what have I done? <laughs> what, what's my part in that? What am I doing? Um, and in my experience with foreign aid and large groups like this, they won't even look at an organization until the organization itself commits, both financially and organizationally. And so we have these large foreign aid groups looking at Puget of Nazarene Hospital, looking at the Church of the Nazarene, seeing 60 years of commitment in this place, seeing dozens of missionaries spending their lives there, and they're ready to get on board. And it's easy for them to partner with us. And that all happens because of what happens here at the local church. And so when you give to Faith Promise, when you donate to WEF, when you give to a missionary, I promise you, <laughs> God is taking that, and he is using that, and he is multiplying that to do his work all over the world, not just in Papua New Guinea, but all over the world. And we see this in the Bible over and over. We see this with the widow and her two coins, and we see this with just a few loaves and a few fishes, with God taking something small like that and multiplying it for his glory. Um, so this morning, um, we wanted to talk about something that, uh, that we could relate to, that we could, that we could kind of all relate to. But it's a challenge to relate something all the way from Papua New Guinea, from the other side of the world to here. But I think we've thought of something in that you can shake your head yes or no and let me know if we got it right. But uh, over the last year or two, things have been hard. Yeah? I see a few heads going up and down. Yeah? The introverts are like, no, this is great. Even if it hasn't been hard, it's at least been abnormal. It's been weird, right? And I don't know about you all, but for me, when things get hard, when things get chaotic, it's easy to step back. It's easy to kind of disengage or remove yourself or kind of move away from what God's calling you to do. And I think of the story from, from the Bible with Paul and Silas and when they were in prison. Oh, and Rachel. This doesn't work. Oh, it does! Good job. Nice. Alright, so this story is from Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. I'm just going to give you like the Rachel summary of it. It's the story of Paul and Silas as they were traveling along. They come across a girl who is owned by her master. So she's a slave girl and her job is to tell fortunes. So people pay her money, she tells a fortune, that money goes to her master's. So Paul and Silas are coming along, and they cast out the spirit from this girl. She no longer tells fortunes, and therefore her masters are upset because that was a source of income for them. So they go after Paul and Silas, because they're the reason that their slave girl no longer can bring them in money. Uh, Paul and Silas are then brought before the Roman magistrates, where they are beaten and they are put in jail in chains. And while they are in jail in chains, they are singing hymns and praying. Which blows my mind because I'm pretty sure if I ever get put in chains in jail, I'm going to be in the corner rocking back and forth crying. Uh, but Paul and Silas are, are singing hymns and they are praying. And in the middle of their singing hymns and praying, there is an earthquake that shakes open the jail and breaks loose their chains. So now Paul and Silas are basically 
They have a way to freedom. They're no longer chained. Their jail is open. Away they can go, just step back into their freedom. But in the meantime, there is the jailer who is looking at his prisoners who are all now free. He knows he's going to get in big trouble. So he decides that his best option must be to just kill himself right then and there. Um, so Paul and Silas are standing there. They have the option to just back into freedom and go on their way. But instead, and this, this has been huge for us, instead they chose to step in and to talk to the man who was in front of them. <coughs> they chose to step in front of that jailer and say, stop, no. God loves you. And they shared with this jailer the gospel. They shared with him about what Christ had done for him. And it says the jailer gave his life to the Lord and was saved. And not only that, he went home and his whole house believed and was baptized. Because Paul and Silas, rather than stepping back and out into freedom, chose to step in, to press forward, to talk to the man who was in front of them, the person in front of them who needed to hear about Jesus. Step back and hunker down. Um, 
but really wanted to ask God for the strength and the courage in that moment to step in, to step forward, and to and to to take hold of this opportunity that He gave. Um, it comes in the form of a program in Papua New Guinea. There is an organization called the PNG Tribal Foundation, and their whole goal is to address the issue of domestic violence. And Jordan, who has a huge crew of men that he's working with, was able to find them and they were able to partner with each other. And they started a program called Senisimpasen, which probably doesn't mean anything to you because it's not English. It's a language called Melanesian Pidgin, which is the trade language that everyone in Papua New Guinea speaks. I'm going to teach it to you just so you can have this little phrase to take home with you. Here's your language lesson for the day. The first word is the word senisim. Say senisim. Good. The second word is pasim. Say pasim. Good. Now we're going to put them together. Senisim pasim. Good. Nice job. Very good. All right. So senisim pasim in Melanesian Pigeon means to change the way that you do something, change the way you think about something. In this case, we want to take a whole nugget of the culture and change the way people view marriage, the way that men view their wives, and just the whole issue of domestic violence in general. They wanted to sing a sin passing. So we talked a lot. We talked a lot about uh, what the Bible says. from a violent home. We talked a lot about kind of the cyclical and generational nature of domestic violence. Um, some young men who had given their life to Christ before and been broken free from this violence and from, from domestic violence um, give their testimonies about what God had done in their life. And 78 young men, and I'm going to call them young men because then I can include myself <laughs> in this young men group. Uh, we committed to Senesimpasin. We have these nice little bracelets made for ourselves. But, um, 78 young men, we, we, we committed to Senisimpasin through the power of the Holy Spirit and through what God had for us to be able to break free from this. Um, and from that, we had dozens of conversations, um, relationships were deepened. We talked about struggles. We talked when guys would fail and their violence and when their anger would get the best of them. But we also saw Christ do some amazing things in people's lives. Um, I'm thinking of one young man who, um, he had just come to work with us on a construction project, um, and he was newly married, but he had already fell into the cycle of beating his wife, just like his father had, and just like his grandfather had, and pretty much every male influence that he'd ever had in his life. Um, and I asked if I could, I asked this guy if I could share his story. He said yes, but he asked that I not share his name. Um, and I shared the gospel with him, and he gave his life to Christ. And we cried, and we prayed, and, and we, we rejoiced, and he still struggled with his violence. He still struggled with his anger. He still struggled in his home. And to be honest, it's a dark place to walk into. <laughs> as a missionary, as anybody, to, to, to step into that. Um, but it was amazing to see God work in that. And it was amazing to see the Holy Spirit change this guy's life and calm his anger and heal his home and his marriage, um, free his home from violence. 
And the, the thing I like most about this story is that uh, him and his wife just had, a, had their first, first child, a newborn son. And so see God be able to kind of to break this cycle of violence in this home, it's, it's pretty neat to see. Um, and we could really share stories like this all day. Uh, stories of victories and, and how God's been doing amazing things. We could probably also share stories of people who still need Jesus. They're still <coughs> stuck in their anger and in this violence. So you can also imagine that um, on the other side of these stories are the women. And that's where I wanted to step in. That's what I wanted to press into. My prayer was this whole last term that any opportunity that I was ever given to speak to women, to tell them that they are valued and they are loved and that they are no man's property, any chance that I would have to say something like that, that I would have the boldness and strength to just say the words that needed to be said. Um, sometimes I did chicken out because it's a hard thing to, to say. Uh, but there are also opportunities that God gave big groups of women, sometimes in small groups of women, oftentimes just one-on-one -on -one conversations, just reminding women how much God loves them and that he has a plan for them too and that and um, that, that they are truly, truly loved both by me and by God. Um, and this is, I think, where uh, you guys can come into the story. Uh, a lot of times we speak at churches and people will come up to me and say, um, like, we've been praying for you. Or if we spoke at the church before, they have a prayer card. And they'll say, our prayer card's on, your on our fridge. And, and I pray for you every day. And um, that means so much to me. Because there are times when I um, answer my door and there's my friend who um, is at my doorstep. And she is bruised and bleeding. And she's telling me that she needs to run from her husband right then and she's gonna go stay with her uncle but she doesn't didn't know where to go first because she just left with what she was wearing and just got out of the house her kids are staying with her sister and she needs to go and so I am instantly panicked and I'm running around my house grabbing blankets and bags of rice and I'm giving her my clothes that I know won't fit but it's all I have to give her and it's in moments like that that I I can think you know there is a body of believers who are here who love missions who love me who are praying specifically for my family and for the ministry and I can know that in that moment that that God is is gonna give me the strength that I need and give me the words that I need. So I, I quickly grab my friend by the shoulders and I look her in the eye and I, I, I remind her that you have value and you are loved. And as you run from him, please run to God. Cling to him with everything you have because he loves you so much and he wants to hold you through this. And he will be there with you as you walk through these next few days and weeks and months. And I know that that I the only 
reason I have any clarity of mind to say any words in general is because there is a, a group praying for me that's praying for, even if it's not just me, that's praying for missions, that's praying for just missionaries, that's praying for God's work around the world. And that is huge to me. That, that means more than I can find the words to say correctly. But just know that if you would partner with us in prayer, if you would take one of these prayer cards home with you and you would pray for us, that means the world. It really, really does. And I know, <laughs> I know this is weird because who else comes up to you and says, here's my picture of my family, put me on your fridge. <laughs> like I get it, it's weird. But if it means that somehow you look at this and think to pray for missions, to pray for the missionaries around the world, if this makes you think I should stop for a minute and just ask God to be with a missionary anywhere, even if it's not me, then I will be that weird person that pushes my family's card in your face and says, please, please put us on your fridge or pray for us. It means so much to us. So thank you. Thank you for just being a part of that work. And thank you for, for your prayers, both now and into the future. So I, I want to close just with, with one thing. And it's a, it's a challenge, and I'm sorry. It's the missionary on there. He's going to come make us feel guilty. This isn't a burden. <laughs> this is a challenge, and if we step into it, if we step into what God's calling us to, it's a beautiful thing. But if we wait for things to be just right, if we wait for things to be just, you know, how we want them to be, then we waited for a while. Because for me, never things are never just quite right. <laughs> so if you're waiting, it's going to be a while. And I imagine that in front of every one of us right now, opportunity to step in here where we are now, not just in Papua New Guinea or some crazy place in the world, but here, right now, there's an opportunity for us to step in with what God's calling you to. <clears throat> so do that. Step in even when things are tough, because God uses tough times. Step in even when things are chaotic, because God works in that chaos. And step even step in when things are abnormal, because God uses all things at all times for His glory. Amen.